Would you like to live a happier, healthier, and more fulfilled life? Cultures from all over our planet have been addressing that concern for thousands of years, and their answers can help you in your life today. Welcome to The Sweet Spot, where healing, spirituality, and culture meet. Join anthropologist and healer Robert Better as he introduces you to healing and spirituality in world cultures. Here's the host of your show, Robert Better. Welcome back, everybody. I'm here today with Joy Scott for our interview part two, where we're going to find out a lot more about what she's doing today and about her most recent book called Magenta Nation. So, Joy, welcome back. Thank you. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to, to be back with you and your audience. And we, we learned so much really valuable information in our last session. Um, we learned about Edgar Casey's work. We learned about the kind of the the his involvement in and his influence on the early development of holistic health. And we learned about his spiritual vision about the world that went along with his um his readings with his psychic perceptions that included this understanding of who we are and how we live our life in the world. And that really brings us to taking these teachings and applying them to the conflicts and the difficulties that we find in today's world. So that's where I'd like to begin, Joy. So can you tell us a little bit about Magenta Nation? Sure. Like a lot of people in recent years, I've been very concerned about what's going on in America and the world. We have major issues, climate change. We're now recognizing the impact of, of racism in our society, economic ups and downs, um, and the polarization, the splitting of uh, people in terms of opinions, disinformation, uh, conflict with elections, uh, you name it, it seems like we have it. And then on top of that, we just now have had this the pandemic to live with. Mm -hmm. um, and I was very upset. I was very angry about some things and finally realized this is not productive. What do we need to do to fix this? And we need to come together. You know, like I, I talked about Edgar Casey saying, we have to have the same ideal. We have to recognize that we are our brother's keeper. We have to have uh, come together. So how do we come together? I began to delve deeply into that and even looked at my own family. I mean, with I have a very large extended family and, and there's a wide variety of, of belief systems in that. And yet we're all, I hope, I hope I'm speaking for myself, but I'm speaking for everybody else. Great people. <laughs> Everyone in my family, they are wonderful people. You know, they are kind, they're loving, they're honest. Uh, and yet, how did we get so far apart? I think that's true for, you know, just about uh, for our country and probably for the world is that even uh, having very, very different beliefs, we're at heart good people and want the right thing and want the best thing. So um, that prompted the study. So I delved deep into what was going on uh, politically, uh, this, uh, the impact of, of disinformation and how damaging that is as a communicator that uh, seemed to me to be something that absolutely has to be addressed. Um, and it is in various ways. 
But more than that, the real power here, according to what I believed and had been taught, was in spiritually coming together. How could we do that? So looked at how we can get beyond some of the polarities and getting to our common values, which are very similar. I mean, we want to be safe. We want to be able to take care of our families. We want to have a loving family life. We want our children to have a future. Um, these are pretty universal. How do we talk about some of these issues in terms that really reflect our values um, versus words that you know just get us upset? Um, and most of all, how do we apply the laws of intentionality to creating our world? There's the things that we do in service, the things that we do externally, the things that we do with people to try to bring us together. But the most powerful thing of all is intention. And uh, we see that, that science is, is discovering that uh, they said, the scientists say consciousness is non-local, which means it doesn't reside in our brains and that's it. Uh, consciousness exists throughout the external world. Um, it's in uh, plants, uh, mountains, rocks, you name it. There's something going on here. And there have been experiments to like with 9-11 uh, when there was a huge uh, emotional upheaval, outburst, if you would, that showed that random numbers created or generated by computers began to form patterns. So somehow they were impacted. Uh, prayers around certain areas of the world or concentrating meditation and intention um, has produced effects in that particular location. So the real call to action here, the most important is applying our spiritual uh, creativity to visioning the world that we want consistently and knowing that it doesn't have to, you know, not to doubt because we think it's not possible, but to know that it exists and that it can happen at any time. But we have to use our creative spiritual powers to direct it as they say, if you don't know where you're going, you'll probably end up somewhere else. And this is an exercise that every single person anywhere can do. Uh, even if their health is poor, if they're isolated, if they're overworked, uh, we can all harness that power. And so that really became the theme of this book along with the other things that I um, mentioned. And it has a series of exercises in it to help people identify what those values are, um, how they want to manifest them, how they think about some of the, the key problems, what their own values are in these areas, um, and how to put together their own vision and be able to project that out into the world on a consistent basis. Now, so would be let's, let's talk a little bit for a moment about this, uh, your use of the term intention. Mm -hmm. I think I have a pretty good idea of what you're talking about. And I think it would be helpful for our listeners to go into a little more detail about what exactly you mean, because you seem to be using it in a different way than in the very conventional everyday way that we might describe it. Mm -hmm. Well, there's been a, um, a number of teachers and books that have come out um, about how we have the power to create what we want. Um, and that is what I'm referring to as the power of intention. It doesn't just happen necessarily, but we can 
create what we want through our focus on it. Um, and uh, not, not just uh, with saying, I want this, but actually seeing it happen, feeling it, bringing in our senses, you know, imagining how it looks, how it smells, what sounds are, just being in that place where what we want to happen is already there. And that's our experience. And the law of intention, it's gone through some iterations. It used to be uh, like when I was a young adult, it was all about just affirmations and visualization. Um, and now it's moved further in understanding that we just, we put ourselves there. Um, and the science shows, by the way, uh, that um, when we do that, our brains change. They are using these kinds of techniques now to treat pain. And they, when they do a scan of the brain, they can see that different parts of it get engaged and the uh, feeling of pain lessens. So this actually is a way of retraining the brain. So when we talk about intention, what I do every morning, I meditate and I spend some time, I have defined my vision of what the kind of world is I want. And I just spend some time being there and thanking God or the higher power, or whatever, that this is real. This is what we have now. And interestingly enough, this morning, I got something uh, via email that I wanted to read. It's from Findhorn, which is a community in Scotland, a spiritual community um, that uh, got started with psychic guidance from a lady named Eileen. Eileen Caddy, uh, and back in the 60s, they moved up to this kind of barren shore on the North Sea in Scotland and were able to grow the most gigantic vegetables that were not supposed to be there. And they did it with intention. You know, they did it by aligning with the nature forces um, and they are still there. Uh, this is from some of Eileen's guidance. This is, came to me today. It says, realize that with me, anything is possible. Expect miracles. Expect a complete change of heart and mind in the seemingly impossible souls. Realize that with me, this is the God force, anything is possible, that a change of heart can come in the twinkling of an eye in the most impossible people. Um, and that is a brilliant uh, explanation of the power of intention is that we believe we know miracles happen um, and we expect it and we live it. Uh, in, in our minds and our hearts as it forms in reality. Beautiful. Now, forgive me, if you will, for playing devil's advocate. So we, these are our lofty and very worthwhile objectives and certainly things that I think the average person would want to understand our own values and how our values connect with all of humanity. How do we get beyond the limitations of our nationalism and our politics that divide us in order to get enough? I, I, I guess that what we're shooting for is the, uh, the momentum of enough people with common values. How do we cut through all of these forces that are at play right now that divide us in order to get there? Uh, that's really the question. 
And it only takes 10% of a society changing to change the whole society. So that makes things uh, a bit more um, encouraging. And uh, so how do we change, how do we get to that 10%? You know, the first thing is within self, it's the going within, as Casey would say, and that you say, if you, you can't, if you want to become a better person, you do one thing and that's meditation. So you start with yourself and living your values and expressing compassion. Uh, compassion has been identified as an evolutionary advantage because people who are compassionate um, can work together. You know, they can experience empathy and they have a better set, a chance of survival than those who can't. So as we make our society more compassionate, we are affecting that change. Um, the other thing is, and this is the communicator in me speaking, is the disinformation that is being spread um, has to stop. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we finally woke up, you know, in America, we're kind of all or nothing. It's all about one right. Uh, somebody's right to carry a gun or somebody's right to free speech. But in other countries, like in Europe, they have proportional rights, where when you consider a situation, you would say not only the right to carry a gun, but what about the rights of the people who might be harmed by that um, and achieve a better balance. So we need to work as a people towards those kinds of balances. But as long as there's so much um, being fed to people that is not true, um, it's going to be a real uphill battle. So that's actually going to be the focus of my next book is, is stopping this disinformation. Um, and we need to look at free speech in a new way. And we need to consider the rights of other people who are affected by it. Um, and that's where I think we've kind of missed the mark up to this point. One is not realizing um, how this was happening, being asleep to you know, the cybersecurity issues and, and the impact of social media and so forth, because it's all new. Um, but also, I think we need to look at it from the perspective of the rights of everybody not only someone to say, you know, spout hate speech, but the persons who would be affected by that. Um, so that's the other part of it. And the third part of it is service, which is not only setting your intention and visualizing that every day, it's gonna be a huge, huge factor. Um, but how can we take action? You know, like going back to the book, The Eight Laws of Social Change, it's uh, Stephen Schwartz identifies the quotidian approach, which is how your actions every day are, 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 are your choices are made based on the highest and best good for everyone, whether it's the products you buy, what you eat, um, how you take care of your yard, how you educate your children, um, where you volunteer your time, um, every decision that we can make, uh, we need to make for that highest and best good. Um, and I'm a big believer in service. I know some people just can't, they might be overwhelmed, but um, we, if we at all possible, you know, need to be out there helping other people in a very real and substantive way and helping this society, whether it's ending racism or getting people to vote um, or educating people, we, we need to do what we can uh, through service to help bring this about. But again, going back to its 10% of society, that's doable. 
So, yeah, and I, maybe the biggest thing standing in the way is what you described as disinformation. And yes. here, you know, on, on my podcast and in my work in general, I, I really don't like to advocate a particular political position on we can find disinformation on both sides of our political aisle. And my question for you is, what do we do about it? How, do, you know, we live in a society where the, the legislation said, as far as television news programming, it's perfectly acceptable to say things that are false because it's, in the end, it's entertainment. And that's a pretty scary precedent to set for our country. You know, we find it when we look at our news programs and we certainly find it all over social media and even our access to social media selects for one side at the, with the absence of the other. So how do we bring people together through information instead of cleaving our society and all of our groups into this one side or the other? Mm -hmm. Well, um, first of all, hate speech is illegal. And that just needs to be enforced. Unfortunately, it has not been. Um, sedition is illegal and that hasn't been enforced either. Anyone calling for violence, uh, that should not be allowed. Um, and, and it is, it's, it's already illegal, as I say, it just isn't enforced. Um, I think public officials have a, um, a responsibility, especially, or anyone that influences a lot of people to speak the truth. And if they consistently are not, um, they should lose the platform and uh, possibly be censured. Or uh, And again, I think we're just way too tolerant of that because we say, oh, it's free speech. Well, when I'll give you an example of a, a, a father of one of the Sandy Hook children who were killed in that massacre had to go to court to stop someone from spreading a conspiracy that that never happened that his child was never killed, that he was an actor uh, in uh, playing a part. And that shouldn't happen. You know, why should a bereaved parent for, for, you know, have to go to that length to stop this reputational damage and, and heartbreaking damage? Um, so when you break it down, you know, I think that you have to look at, again, the rights of the other people who are affected by this. And uh, consider that in making these kinds of decisions. So um, once people are, it used to be people were, were held to a standard of honesty. You know, you remember politicians would, you know, would lose their careers if they were caught lying. Um, and we need to go back to some of that. Our norms have changed so much that it, the, the, the values, the morals are, are uh, really confusing. Um, so um, again, you know, I, I, take uh, my, my brethren in the communications field, some of them are just are, are shocked by this, but you know, I, I really believe that we, we have to look at it from the perspective of the rights of the individuals who are affected by all of this and give them as much protection as you know, we give to people to express opinions. Now, we can't stop opinions. You know, opinions are opinions. But people speaking from positions of authority and saying things that aren't true, I mean, all they have to do is prove it. That's it. Just prove it. And you're fine. If you can't prove it, why are you saying it? 
Beautiful. Well, I know that there'll be people who are going to want more information about you and what you're doing, Joy. So this is your opportunity. Tell us how we can get your book. Tell us how we can find out more. Sure. The book is available on Amazon. And also the uh, you can go to my website, which is www.magenta, like the color, M-A-G-E-N-T-A hyphen nation.com. Um, the other two books are there as well. Two novels, one's about reincarnation and one's about forgiveness, uh, which is so timely today. And uh, also the conversations with series that I host, the Magenta Nation podcast series, which is um, basically taking a controversial issue, since we were just talking about disinformation and just looking at the facts around it. Uh, in a nonpartisan way so that people can can look further and, and form their own opinions. Uh, and the Magenta Nation blog. So all of that is um, at the website. Wonderful. Well, Joy Scott, thank you so much for being with us on today's interview. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. God bless everyone. And thanks everyone for listening. This has been Healing and Spirituality in World Cultures with Robert Vetter. Thanks for listening. Please rate, subscribe, and share with everyone you know who might benefit from these messages. Until next time, remember, be kind and loving to yourself and others. Together, we can heal ourselves and help build a better world.